You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. stand with me. We're going to read these verses, verses 3 through 8, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we learn from your words today. Lord, we, we learn from your truth how to be true witnesses to this world, how to, how to learn from the, the church of Thessalonica and, and what it means to be witnesses, to be examples among the world, to be a light to this world and, and to live our testimonies faithfully to you, Lord. I just pray that you speak through me and teach through me today and, and open our hearts to serve you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. All right, so today's lesson, in a nutshell, is all in the first, the first century church at Thessalonica, which um, became a model church for spreading the gospel of Christ. They saturated their own area with a gospel witness and even spread that witness to regions far beyond just their, their hometown. Through their testimony, we learn how to have a witness for Christ that is substantial and that powerfully affects the lives of others, not just our own. It's awesome seeing the, the testimony that Christ led in the Bible and to read how he affected the apostles and, and to try to emulate ourselves after that. But there are others out in this world that need our example. They see Christ through us. So it's our responsibility to be a witness to who Christ is and, and who God truly is and, and show his love through our example and through our testimony. Every single thing we do, good or bad, is a testimony of who God is to the world. So we have a responsibility to be a real witness. On Paul's second missionary journey, he stopped in the, the city of Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, it records the story. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, and you can look at the slides or turn there as well if you choose to. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apoll uh, Apollonia, so I'm going to make sure I get my timer set here so I don't go over. <coughs> they came into Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul was 
or as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and, out, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women were not, or of the chief women not a few. The church that Paul planted at Thessalonica was what many have considered to be a model church of the first century. It's an example of, of how to witness and how to share the gospel. So what better example than to look at this church in Thessalonians? So why was this? The question here, thank you, I said I was going to use a clicker and I didn't. Why was this? Why was this church the example? Does anybody have any, any idea? The city of Thessalonica itself had some very unique and desirable features. It was located in northern Greece. It was a free city with its own government. It also was the capital city of the region of Macedonia. But additionally, Thessalonica was an important metropolis in the Roman period, and it was a trade hub for the Roman Empire. The city stood on famous Ignatian Way, Rome's greatest highway and most traveled trade route between Rome and Constantinople, but it was not the location or the political freedom of the city that made the Church of Thessalonica successful. You would think on a humanly standard, having the, the spot that they were at and the amount of people that were traveling through there, that would be a perfect spot for a church. But that had nothing to do with why they were successful. You could have the most corrupt church sitting right there, and that would be why it was not successful. It was a great opportunity, a great position God could have place them in and then they, they chose not to do what they should have done. So what was it? Let's look at the next slide. It was the what of the Christians in the church. What do you think specifically the Christians embodied or had that gave them an effectiveness in their witness? Faith? That's coming. Yep, those are answers later. So keep, keep hold of those ones. It was, go to the next slide, authenticity. They were authentic. They were real. And I, and I would definitely agree that our church has that. We are authentic. And I think that is one thing that drew me in quicker than anything else. When I walked into the doors here, it was, <laughs> it was real. And that has an effect on people. It helps them feel welcome. It helps them feel like something here is different. They're not being fake. They're not putting on a show. They're not acting like Christians. No, these people really care and really believe this. Why? And then we have the true word of God, and then we, we feed on that. We grow from that real nourishment, that real food, and having real people to communicate with that are really hurting and really dealing with things makes a big difference. It was their authenticity of the Christians in that church that had an impact on the people on that road. So here was a real church with sincere Christians who were following Christ in truth. The outcome of their authenticity was a witness that spread throughout not only their region, but abroad as well. It didn't just impact the city of Thessalonica, but the entire region and beyond. That's powerful. It's continuing to have an impact because here we are today learning from their testimony, their witness, their authenticity is in their message in the Bible. It's written for all eternity. We get to enjoy and learn from them. 
1 Thessalonians 1.8 says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not sounded out your accomplishments, not sounded out what music program you had or youth program you had. No, it was the word of the Lord sounded out, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. Paul didn't have to say anything about what they were doing there. There were what they were doing was having an impact and they were hearing about it elsewhere. That would be so great to plant a church and find out from word of mouth, not directly from that church, that they were having an impact. <laughs> that would be beautiful. And that's that's our goal. That's our hope that we have the same impact. It seemed that everywhere Paul went, he encountered people who had heard the gospel when they had at one time passed through Thessalonica. So what made the witness of this church successful? The next question. Did they have ancient marketing strategies to make their faith appeal to the pagan society in which they lived? Did they have a strong presence in the political arena and change the society from the government down? I think these are all things that we want for this country. But what they had was what? I gave you a hint, I already answered this. Authenticity. <laughs> it was a trick. They had authenticity. It was not plans to get into the government. It was not plans to have a smooth worship program. It wasn't all these things that we strive for and try for, to, to thinking that all these things that we, we work towards is gonna have an impact, which they're all good things. It's not saying these things are bad, but it was their authenticity. It boils down to, to the starting point. Are you real? The reality of their faith transformed their own lives and empowered their witness. And as we study the effective witness of this church, we learn how we, too, can be Christians who have a real witness for Christ. To get down and be honest and real. And I think most of us already embody that, but starting early on, maybe you're a visitor or you're, you're new to the church or you're young in your faith, this is something that you can cultivate. And just start now just being real. Because people will appreciate that and love you more for it. They will. So, point number one, the remembrance of the apostle. Throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul addressed questions and concerns this church had concerning the end times and the rapture. But before he touched on these issues, he reminisced a little bit on his stay in Thessalonica. And he couldn't help but give thanks for these faithful Christians. Paul had a pattern most of the time about thanking them for what they were doing in the beginning of his letters. And he didn't change that here in, in 1 Thessalonians. Look at verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He remembered that from the very beginning this church had a real faith, a real love, and a hope in the Lord. And that's something to hold on to. Sometimes you need to look back and be like, what, are, what, were, what did we start with? What are we founded on? What, what, what built this church? It's who we have faith in, which is Jesus. He's our rock. He's our foundation. If we, if we lose sight of that and we start shifting and building on outside of that with keep, without keeping a foundation underneath the new add-ons, then those are going to crumble. We need to keep that foundation solid on Christ. And our love pointed towards him and, and, and shown to others Christ's love. 
And our hope needs to stay in him as well. We can lose sight of our hope, too. We can, our hope can start being on, well, we need enough people here to pay the bills. We need enough people here to have a ministry. We need enough money to be able to keep the lights on. Well, that's irrelevant. We could have, lose all that and still have Christ. We can lose all those things and still have a church. Our church is not our ministries. Our church is not the building. It's not the programs that we have, the cool software we have. It's not our nice microphones. It is the word of God. It's Christ. It's our foundation. That's what we're built on. And we keep sight of that. God will take care of the rest for us. So he was, he was thanking him, the church for that. He was saying, you have a real faith and love and hope in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm praying and thanking God for that continuously. So that's where we should be. Letter A, our work of faith. The Christians at Thessalonica had not just given a mental asset or assent. They didn't just mentally go to Christ. They had placed their faith in him. They didn't just say he exists. No, they really trusted in Christ. And as a result, they had the product of genuine faith, which is faith that actually works. Their faith was the kind that produced action. James 2.18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See, Jesus once said, They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. It is, it is the things that we don't realize are having an impact that show people where our faith really lies. Works, works for the Lord can never save us. We are only saved by faith in Christ. Yet genuine faith produces genuine service. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The second we rely on the things we're accomplishing, we're losing sight of him again. And people are not going to get excited about the things we're accomplishing. They're going to get excited about what God's doing there, what God is doing in this church. We want to be able to boast in Christ, not in our accomplishments. Someone once pointed out our beliefs determine our behavior. When we trust Christ for salvation and believe that he has given us, as his people, a work to do for him, then we will be motivated to serve him. From start to finish, the Christian life is to be lived by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Not by what we see, not by the good things we see in front of us or the things that we're fearful in front of us, but it's by faith that we're walking. Trusting that Christ is leading us in the direction he needs us to go. Letter B, our labor of love. You guys hit on faith and love and hope, and, and those are common themes for sure. So labor of love is our next point here. We had the work of faith, and now the labor of love. The word for labor in this passage in the next slide is copus, which means intense labor united with trouble and toil. Yes, our labor sometimes will be hard. Our labor, labor for Christ will sometimes be painful. But it's a labor out of love. It, it's a labor that we, we kind of like with our children, sometimes it's difficult, but man, we love them so much, and it's a labor, labor worth working toward. 
We're invested in our kids. These Christians were focused and wholehearted in their labor for the Lord. Paul commended them, however, not just for the intensity of their labor, but because of the motive of their labor. They did what they did for Christ because they loved him. If we love Christ, then we can't help but work for him and serve for him and, and deal with pain for him. They did what they did because they loved him. The Thessalonians' service was not driven by duty. It was a labor of love. And when we consider the love of Christ for us, we are compelled to serve him in response. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that which live should not... Or, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. True love always labors. It is an oxymoron to claim love, to love Christ while neglecting to serve him. Mothers of young children must be the hardest working people on the planet. They get little rest and have to cover multifaceted responsibilities, all while keeping up with the needs of children. Yet, they labor with joy because they love their children. If a negligent mother told you that she loved her children, but it was just too much work to give them meals or be sure they had clothes that was appropriate for the weather that day, I don't think you would believe that mother. So it is with the Christian who claims to love Christ but has no interest in laboring for him. It's hard to believe that they really love Christ if they aren't willing to do something. For Christ, to suffer for him, to serve for him, to love for him, to get out of their comfort zone and actually walk with him. True love always labors. We have ways in this church that we can show our love for him. There are a lot of services that we can do, specifically with children. There's a big need. We have a lot of kids, which is great, but that also means that there's people that have to teach them and take care of them and help them and and help build them up here and, and provide for their needs here. It may seem like it's out in the back and you don't notice it sometimes, but that's because we have people that are take care, taking care of them. You know, we love hearing kids in the, in the congregation and the cries and the laughs and the giggles and stuff, which is awesome, but we have a lot of kids back there being taught right now by people that truly love Christ and love these kids. And that's an opportunity. We have cleaning needs. We have facility needs. We have ministries that could use help. We have all sorts of openings and avenues. Ask Pastor Jesse. Ask me. Ask Ryan. Hey, where can I, where can I serve? Anything helps. Anything to serve God and to get out of your comfort zone is showing your love towards him. We have opportunities. Letter C, patience of hope. So there's the other one that you guys had, faith, love, and hope. This church labored with faith and love, but they also labored with patience. I gave you the answer. <laughs> You're welcome. Although they were no stranger to difficulties and trials, they did not allow their work to be stopped by discouragement. How many people here have been discouraged in, in their churches or in their families or in their jobs? Everybody. We can't let that stop us. We're in the middle of, of a sinful world. Of course we're going to get discouraged. 
But that's why we have a body and a family that loves us. <laughs> that's why we're here together. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We edify each other. And our hope is focused on Christ. That's where our hope is. And that's why we can, we can push forward and move on. Because, yes, there's going to be some hard times. And our labor is going to be discouraging sometimes. Our labor of love. But let's not be discouraged. This church steadily worked forward for the Lord because they had their focus on Jesus' return. They knew he was coming back, and they just had to do everything they could to get ready for it, and we should have the same attitude. But patience can be difficult to learn. How many of you have prayed for patience? (laughs) Okay, some people were brave. You pray for patience, God's going to give you opportunities. (laughs) But that's a good thing. How else are you going to learn patience without a reason to be patient. How are you going to get stronger without resistance? You can't. You're either going to atrophy out of a lack of resistance or you're going to grow stronger by persevering through it. That's the only way you get stronger. So patience requires a reason to be patient. I have three kids (laughs) and my own stupidity to, to learn to be patient through. I wasn't going to say anything about Veronica. I have no reason to be patient with her. (laughs) It's the other way around. Um, A Sunday school teacher asked her young class the meaning of patience. One little girl raised her hand and answered, Patience is when you are sitting in church and the preacher is preaching. You keep sitting and he keeps preaching and he keeps preaching and preaching and you just keep sitting there. That is patience. (laughs) What hope kept the Thessalonians patient and steady in their service for the Lord? That should be the next slide. What hope did they have? What, what gave them patience for their service for the Lord? What was that? The coming? Okay. I would say that's spot on. We, we see a few verses later that their hope was founded on the coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So just after, after Jesus ascended to heaven, an angel promised those who were gathered that he would one day return. Acts one eleven says at the end of that verse, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He went up on a cloud and he's going to return on a cloud. And it's going to be glorious. And the, the best part is not one person isn't going to know he's back. If I remember correctly, there won't be any night. It'll be so bright all across the world. On the other side, the sun will be shining across the world. And no person will be questioning, is he really back? He will be back. And everyone's going to know it. And everyone's going to bow their knee and praise him and acknowledge who he is so when you hear these false prophets saying that there's this new jesus in south korea right now or wherever else because there's going to be a lot more of that i just happened to have that experience a week ago (laughs) i'm like if that was true i would have known it by now (laughs) you know no question everyone was going to know it when you find yourself losing patience and getting discouraged remembering that Jesus is coming again will bring a fresh hope to your spirit. It'll, it'll give you just this excitement of this isn't forever. This trial is only temporary, and he's coming back. 
he is coming back. And this fool that just cut me off or this country that I'm dealing with, this politician that's frustrating me, that's all going to get wiped away like chaff in the wind. It's just, it's gonna, he's going to roll in quickly and it'll all just get blown away and it won't matter anymore. So then if he's the one that's going to judge it, we don't have any reason to judge in that moment as much as we want to. Our service for him is not in vain. It has eternal significance. One day we will see him face to face, and man, won't that be a moment. And we will be thankful that we labored with patience and hope. These characteristics of faith, love, and hope that Paul remembered from the church at Thessalonica were evidences that these people had truly been saved. These were real Christians with a real testimony, and it's no wonder that they had a real effective witness. They were real. They were effectively honest, authentic, truly loving, having hope in the one that counted, Jesus Christ, and they labored for him, and that just spread everywhere. People were excited about it. We move on to our second point, and I'm only going to get halfway through this point because next week we're going to finish this off. We look at the relationships of the people. How many people are thankful that we have these relationships in this church? We have real, authentic relationships in this church. How many people have experienced somebody in this church praying for them? (laughs) Every one of us. Whether you knew it or not, surprise, guess what? We all pray for each other. We pray for people specifically. We see somebody come in that's new, we pray for them. And that's something that drew me in again, too, is this was a real family that really loves. And when people ask about this church, where do you go? I say one of the best parts. Not only is it founded on the true word of God, but it's a real church that cares about you. It's a real family. It's, it's not something you encounter in most churches. I've, I've walked into a lot of doors and, and felt like I was never there. Not when I came here. <laughs> Wherever you find a church with a real witness that is producing fruit, you will find a church where relationships are Christ-honoring and spiritually strong. When a church family has right relationships with their spiritual leaders and with one another, they have the freedom to focus outwardly on those who need the gospel. When they are so focused on bickering and fighting with one another or who's doing this or who's doing that or how come I don't get to do this and how come the sound is so terrible, sorry, Then we're so focused on that and not each other. We're not focused on the ministry. We're not focused on the new person and loving them. We're still focused on our selfish irritations. When we don't have those things, which they will come, I mean, I can't say that we're, we're perfect in that area, but we are definitely more focused outwardly than we are on those things. We learn to talk to each other because we're a family. We love each other. We're willing to talk to each other about it and move past it. When a church family has division, discontent, disunity, they are so focused inwardly that they don't even notice the needs around them, much less have the Holy Spirit's power to, you know, as they attempt to share Christ. They're still so self-focused that they can't share the good news because all they can think about is, you should come here. It's great there might be some issues. You know, that's what all they're thinking about when they're sharing the good news. That's hard to share. As Paul commended the church at Thessalonica for their witness, he pointed to their healthy relationships. 
first, first with him as the church planter and ultimately with the Lord himself. Look at verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. In this verse, we catch a glimpse of a healthy relationship in this early New Testament church. They were first followers of Paul in, in his ministry, and you know, planting the church and everything, but then of the Lord. That was the foundation, and they just kept on with that. And they were, they were so afflicted by God's word that they acted on it. So let's look at letter A. They followed the human examples. We, first of all, need to have some human examples. And I'm very thankful for the human examples I found here. That was one thing I struggled with for a long time. Is I, I, if you know anything about my history, I didn't really have a father example. I didn't have somebody to emulate there. I didn't have a strong male figure in my life. I didn't have that. I tried to find some people in, in churches to, to get to know and to be with, to push me or to keep me accountable, and I just never found it. But fortunately, God got me to the place I, ha- I found my, my example. I mean, Pastor Jesse has had a huge impact on me. But not only that, we have people in the Bible. I read many times that he is a father to us, that our God is a father for us. And that was hard for me to understand. I've just, well, I would read that and I'd be like, Lord, I don't, I don't understand because guess what? My example of who he was as a father was my dad. And if you don't have a good earthly example, then you don't, you, you see him in a tainted light. You don't see who he truly is, but I'm thankful God can get through that. He plowed right through that and gave me a real example. So that should convict us to be earthly examples, to find people to minister to, to be mentors for, to teach and, and just be an encouragement to somebody to sharpen the edge of their, their spiritual sword and to help lift them up when they need help, when they're, they're struggling to walk in faith. We need human examples. Jesus came down and he became human for us. Another great example. Read the New Testament Gospels and he is a walking, living example that we can follow. The very first encounter these people had with anyone who represented Christ was when the Apostle Paul came to their city. Their impression of him could have served to either turn them away from Christ or deepen their interest in him. You may not think you have a ministry or an impact, but everything you do can either bring people to Christ to be a representation of Christ or it can turn them away from him. Their impression of him had an impact. What a great responsibility we as Christians have to keep a godly testimony for the Lord. What we do in our day, everyday living can help us gain entrance into the hearts of people who need to hear the message that we are commissioned to tell them. We don't have to scream in their face about it. We don't have to yell at them about it. 
as hard and stubborn as some people might be when we're trying to share the good news with them. It's our love towards them. It's our encouragement towards them. It's saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, do you need any help with this today? It's the little things every single day, our relationship building with that person that has an overall impact that then opens the door for us to share in a loving way, not forcing it down their throat. As Charles Spurgeon pointed out, and I have a, a, the quote up here for you, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. It's not the words that we use. It is our life that's more forcible than speech. When men take stock in him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. It is our actions that speak louder than words. Thankfully, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had set an example that the church at Thessalonica could follow. Their integrity and authentic love for the Lord allowed others to follow their example, and this is the way that it should be. We hear much today about mentoring, accountability, and authentic, transparent relationships. Sometimes they are written about or taught as if they are newly discovered personal strategies. There's books about it written constantly. But yet, from this church all the way back in the very beginning of, of the churches in the New Testament, we see that the relationships forged through mentoring, accountability, and biblical disciplining or discipling are not new to the 21st century. It is not brand new. There's nothing new written under the sun. Although all throughout the New Testament epistles, we see spiritual leaders investing in the lives of Christians. Example after example of how we can be discipling people, ministering to people. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. We poured ourselves into you because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. While some Christians take the attitude of, I don't follow anyone but the Lord, following spiritual leaders is not only helpful, it's biblical. Well, I have a relationship with Christ. Why would I need to go to a church? I can just read my Bible. Well, we need leadership sometimes. We are sheep easily led astray. I'm constantly having to get myself back in the Word and constantly having to get myself back in, in communication with Pastor Jesse or, or another spiritual leader in my life. I have, to, I have to keep coming back. Because the more I come back to God and the more I come back to the Word and I come back to the church and the more involved I am, the easier it is to stay on track. <laughs> the second I, I pause or I take a moment and walk away from it. It's the moment I start getting tempted more easily. I'm now vulnerable, and I'm now out there wandering, and, and I need to be brought back in. 
Paul commended the church at Thessalonica for following him, and he instructed the church at Corinth to follow him as well. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. If there's one standard that should be a requirement for those who you follow, it should be somebody that's following Christ. There can be a lot of other faults, but if they're following Christ, that should be your ultimate standard for those that you're following as, as leaders. And one thing I mentioned when I was down in um, Mondaman constantly, and, and Jesse's mentioned it here too, the second I waver, the second I, I do something that seems contrary to the Bible or shows that I'm not following Christ and I'm not leading by example, let me know. That's the last thing I want to do. That's the last thing I want to be known for is is walking away from Christ. I want to follow him wholeheartedly. I want to be an example for everybody in my family and in my church and my ministries and my relationships at work. I want to be an example. And if somebody can help me correct the course, by all means, let me know. I won't won't be angry. I'll be thankful that you were willing to let me know because that means you cared about me. You loved me enough to say, hey, man, Maybe I shouldn't have said that, or what did you mean by that? Or did you know that I saw you doing that? You know, what were you doing there? Or whatever. I would rather get that clarification than have some assumptions. Or, I mean, we want to build each other up. We want to love each other and help each other keep the course. Be followers of me, Paul said, even as I also am of Christ. They followed him because he followed Christ. When the Lord gives the church a spiritual leader with a godly testimony, he expects the church to follow his leadership and example. And some churches have a hard time with the idea of somebody leading them. And I've experienced that myself, and and it's sad because it's a biblical thing, and it's the way it was designed to be. And God has blessed this church with a great spiritual leader, Pastor Jesse. (laughs) He has been such a blessing to each and every one of us. And when we go out into our own churches, if, if God has asked you to do that, to plant another church or to start a Bible study, then he's entrusting a lot in you to be a spiritual example and, and to share that right there that, hey, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm following Christ the best I can, and, and I'm, I want to help you to do the same. And That should be our, our walk in everything that we do. Do we have any questions before I close today? I'm... A little early, but I had to cut it in half. That way we had uh, enough time for the rest of the lesson next week. All right. Jesse? Jesse?